All right, all right. Well, good morning. Welcome. And uh, let me just, as you're finding your seat, give you just a couple of things to keep in mind. As always, you get a bulletin on the way in, and uh, a lot of times maybe you're just used to it. You stick it in your Bible. Maybe you read it. Maybe you don't. Do, do pay attention to what we got on there. We do try and give you some updates on some stuff, so there's some good stuff in there. Plus, you got the sermon notes in there, and that's always a good thing. And uh, don't forget you have a connection card in the pew in front of you as well. And so if you're here for the very first time or if you, you're new to First Baptist Church, uh, we'd love to know a little bit more about you and, and just some of your thoughts. And if you come every week, uh, we'd love to hear from you as well. Many of you already know that we share prayer requests and you turn those in. Uh, we'll receive an offering at the end of the service and that'll be an opportunity for you to do that. So do take advantage of those things. Those things are there for you and um, we're thrilled to be able to communicate Um, I know that's a very simple way to communicate back and forth, but it is a way for us to be able to get back and forth and hear what you're thinking and uh, be able to serve you in a better way. Well, today we are continuing in our Bible study in the Gospel of John, and so if you have your Bibles, please open up to John chapter 18, and uh, I'm just going to tell you a little story today. We're going to talk about a guy who's just a regular guy. Uh, He's not particularly highly educated. He has no particularly special credentials about his life. He's a good guy. He's sincere. He's a hard worker. He's willing to sacrifice. Probably sounds like a lot of people you all know. Uh, This guy gave up a lot to follow Jesus. Had some amazing experiences. Experienced some miracles. Saw lives changed. Was exposed to absolute truth. Had a purpose for his life finally. His life is on a mission. Uh, He he understood what it meant to speak with authority, and uh, things were really going great until one day they started to go not so great, and things weren't turning out exactly as he expected. He started probably having some second thoughts. He began to maybe wonder, uh, how can I continue in this, but yet at the same time, I'm this far invested. How could I really quit? Well, the person we're talking about in John 18 is none other than Simon Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He walked with Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry for three and a half years up to this point. He literally saw physical miracles of healing. He participated himself in some of those. He cast out devils. He heard some of the greatest teaching, for sure the greatest teaching that the world has ever heard. He heard it audibly right there. And today we are going to look at the story where Peter Uh, infamous for this event, denying Jesus Christ three times. How is that possible, you might think? It's a terrible thing. Who would do such a thing? Certainly not me. Well, that's what Peter said. And, And in fact, in Matthew 26, that's exactly what he said in verses 33 and 34. Peter answered and said unto him, Jesus, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And I'm sure he meant every single word of that. I'm I'm sure of it. Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. So this is our life in Christ. And a lot of us might find our lives not all that different from the description I started giving you about who Peter is. Just not particularly, and, and I don't mean to be specific about any individual, of course, but generally speaking, we're, we're just regular folks. We're just 
uh, middle class people who love God and, and some achieve more or less in this world, but at the same time, we just sincerely desire to do what's right. Many, if not most all of us, have experienced some great things walking with God over time and, and are really thankful for all the ways that he's done those things in our lives. And, and quite frankly, uh, following Jesus Christ is fun. I mean, it really is. That's where stuff happens. That's where lives change. That's where truth is exposed. That's where your life gets meaning. That's where you get a mission and purpose. That's where you know that the things that you do, although they may seem somewhat mundane, actually have value. And so it really is a great way to live until that day or those days that come in your life where difficulty sets in and things begin to change. And the difficulty can come in ways that we often never see coming. If you were with us last week, we saw how Jesus Christ was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. And how did Judas identify who Jesus was? Well, it was with a kiss. And we talked about how we sometimes can be hurt the deepest by the people who are the closest to us. And so it's interesting because Jesus Christ understanding that in Matthew 10, draw your attention to verses 35 and 36, it says, Jesus says this, For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. And maybe you're here, and maybe you're new to church, and maybe you're thinking, really? But as you continue to walk with the Lord Jesus, what you find are people who aren't willing to do that. And the more that you dedicate your life to living right and standing for him, the more you'll bump into people who just say, yeah, I can't do that. And they may very well be people who are the very closest to you. The thing I want us to consider today as we look at this passage of Scripture is this question, is it possible that we deny Jesus in our lives? Probably few of us would say that we have had greater experiences with the Lord Jesus Christ than the Apostle Peter had had up until this point in his life. And yet, it happened to him. Is it possible that in this story, as we look at it, that there are some red flags that'll jump out, that will maybe help us to think about, are are we pointed in that wrong direction? Are are there baby steps that we're taking that might lead us to this terrible deed that he did of denying the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, that's what I want us to consider as we read together. So we're going to start in verse number 15, and we're going to read down to verse 27. I'm going to give you a disclaimer. In the middle of this passage, there's a section that talks about Jesus Christ before Caiaphas, the high priest, and actually, we're not going to study that today. I'll read through it, okay? And, And Lord willing, next week, we'll talk more about how Jesus responds in the midst of all this interrogation. Okay, but really I'm going to take the front few verses and the last few verses for our Bible study as it talks about Peter denying the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 15 of John 18. And Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, And brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves. And Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and 
in the temple whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me. What I have said, uh, what I have said unto them, behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas, the high priest, and Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said, therefore, unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. Very hard circumstances to imagine, but that's what happened. So let's go to the Lord, let's pray, and we'll look at some of the details of this story. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, uh, our desire, our heart's sincere desire is to cry out like Peter did in Matthew 26, Lord, though all be offended, we will never be offended. Yet at the same time, Lord, we are flesh, and our flesh is evil, it's wicked, it constantly draws us to do the wrong thing. And Lord, although hopefully none of us in this room have ever stood and said, I don't know Jesus Christ, uh, maybe there's some signs in this story that are red flags that can warn us, hey, hey maybe, maybe our toes are pointed in the wrong direction on this path here and maybe we can get off that path before it's too late. And so Lord, we want to openly consider the fact of whether or not we might be headed towards a denial of you in our lives. And if that's the case, please warn us today. Please help us to change. Please give us the strength to understand and then absolutely commit to get whatever needs to be right to get it right. And Lord, we thank you in advance for what it is you're going to share with us in the next while. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, the first thing that I want us to see is the manifestation of such a behavior. And what we're going to look at are some points, and again, you have those in your notes, um, some, some things that we see in Peter's behavior that I think translate into real life, the way that we really live our lives. And the first thing I want to see is that Peter follows from a distance. Okay, so what we have in this story, obviously, G- Judas Iscariot had just betrayed Jesus outside the Garden of Gethsemane. He had the mob with him. Jesus willingly goes with them. He's arrested. He's taken into custody. He's taken to the high priest. He's questioned. We read some of those verses here, and we see that Peter and John follow behind. Now, if you were to go back into verse number 15, and it says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Uh, that other disciple is certainly the Apostle John. Uh, If you were to take the time and go through, the Apostle John frequently refers to himself anonymously and in the third person. Uh, Maybe that's just a humble way to present the story as the Lord has led him to record it. That's the way he's recorded it. But without a doubt, this is Peter and John. John and Peter are the ones that are in here, okay? And so... um, He had the chance to be closer. They go in. John happens to know some people in the palace, so because he's known, he can go all the way in with Jesus to view this interrogation that's going on, but Peter wasn't allowed in. And so as the story goes, what happens is is that John realizes, hey, where's Peter? Oh, wait a minute. They blocked him. He couldn't come in. John goes back out and basically vouches for him, and he says, hey, I, I know this guy. Let him in. He's with me. 
And so the girl lets him in. Of course, we know the questioning. We'll get to that in a minute. And, and the girl lets him in. And John goes back into the area where the high priest is questioning Jesus. He goes back inside. But Peter doesn't. He's led inside the gate, but he stands by the coals of fire warming himself with all these different officers that are standing out in the courtyard. It's interesting. Peter kind of kept his distance. He's following, but he didn't follow all the way like John did. He he wanted to watch, but he didn't really want to be involved. And so I've coined this phrase. I've used it before, but I, I tend to call people like that CNN Christians. And I use that CNN as, as the way of considering some people in their Christianity just want to report the news. They don't want to be a part of making the news. Uh, they don't actually want to be involved in what's going on. They just want to be around the perimeter watching everybody else who's getting it done and then be very excited to tell other people, hey, guess what God's doing because I know somebody and God's doing something rather than being somebody who will stand up and say, God, I want you to do something through me. (laughs) I want to be a part of making the news. I don't want to just report on what's going on. And and that's kind of what we see. People who want to be near the action and talk about what's going on, but not necessarily actually be a part of what's going on. And I don't know if you know people like that, um, but churches are full of people like that. Uh, there's, there's people who constantly want to be around church. There's people who want to come and be a part of hearing and watching and listening, but yet they keep their distance. And, and for some, it's a physical distance, and for some, it's an emotional distance, but most certainly, it's a spiritual distance. They, they, they're just kind of checking it out from a distance. Now, now let, me, let me just give this disclaimer, okay? If you're here and you're new, And whether you're new to Jesus Christ and the Bible and spiritual life, or whether you're just new to First Baptist Church and and you find yourself just just wanting to have a little space so that you can check us out and see what's going on from a distance without overcommitting anything too quickly, seriously, allow me to say, that's fine. You are welcome to take your time and understand what this is all about, and we are here to help you, and whenever you're ready for more information, please let us know, and whenever you're ready for more involvement, please let us know, because there's plenty to do around here. But if you're a member of this church, if you've been coming here for a long time, and your typical role is just to sit in the corner far away and watch some people and never really get involved, can I just share with you, like the Apostle Peter, that's, that's, a, that's a bad sign. That's not a good sign. Uh, That's not the life that you want to live. That's not the manifestation that you want. That might be the beginning steps toward actually denying the Lord. Well, he kind of kept his distance, and while he was keeping his distance, not surprisingly, he hangs out with the wrong crowd. He's hanging out with the wrong crowd. And, And so it's interesting because it says that Peter stood with the servants and the officers of the high priest. Why would Peter stand with those guys? Why would that be the case? Now, I understand, physically speaking, we read the story, it was cold. (laughs) They're burning a fire. Yeah, you could have gone inside. He didn't. Rather, I'll stand outside with the high priest's crowd. They're the ones who are going to kill Jesus, remember? And, And so he is warming himself by the fire of these lost people. 
Let me ask you a question. Whom do you stand with? (laughs) Keep that thought in mind and look with me, if you will, at Psalms chapter 1. I love Psalm chapter 1. It's a great little psalm, only six short verses. And and just follow along as I read Psalm chapter 1 with this in mind. Who do you stand with? Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. If you just take a quick glance, even at the very first verse, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Do you see the progression? You start by walking with the wrong people. Then before you know it, you just stand around and and you find yourself actually just hanging out with these people until ultimately you just make yourself comfortable and just sit on down and just relax with these people. Peter's standing with the wrong people. We have an expression in Albanian and a loose translation in English of that Albanian expression would be something like this. You tell me the people that you stand with and I'll tell you what kind of person you are. That's a pretty good little saying. In other words, you don't have to try and tell me what kind of person you are. Just tell me who your friends are. And based on who your friends are, I can pretty much surmise what kind of person you are and what you really value. That's an important thing. Whom do you stand with? Look at Psalm 119 and verse 63. I love Psalm 119, 63. David says, I am a companion of who? Of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. Who are you, friends? Are your friends people that fear God and keep his precepts? That's what David said. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Listen, life's full of choices, and God Almighty stands in direct opposition to the things that this world stands for. Uh, There's a verse in Luke 16, it's verse 15, I believe, where uh, it says that the things that are highly esteemed among men are an abomination in the sight of God. And, and, and God stands. And so my question is, what do you stand for? What are the things in your life that you stand for? Peter stood with the wrong people and didn't realize probably that he was sliding into standing for the wrong things. And so in our life, and this could be an entire different series of messages, we're not going to talk about it, but there are moral issues that go on around us all the time and y'all we need to stand for moral issues right and so whether they be issues of marriage or right to life and those sorts of things I mean we need to stand for the right 
kinds of things. There are family values that are being undermined and, and crumbling all around us. And without a strong family, you can't have a strong society. We, we've got to stand for some things, and we have to not be ashamed to be able to do that sort of thing. But by definition, when you choose to stand for some things, you absolutely choose to stand against some other things. Look in Ephesians chapter 6, and notice the words God uses in Ephesians 6 and verse number 11. We referred to this last week as well. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So while we're standing for some things, there's some things that we should probably stand against. And the thing most specifically here are the wiles of the devil. The devil has some ways in which he works and we need to resist those things. Verse number 13 goes on and says, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Verse 14, not surprisingly, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having the breastplate of righteousness, etc., etc., with all the different elements of the armor of God. And so God is telling us, stand. Stand with me. Stand in the spiritual battle. Stand against the wiles of the devil. What do you stand for? What do you stand against? <laughs> Well, certainly when we're dealing with moral issues, and that is the realm of the spiritual, there are, there's moral decay all around us that we need to stand against. But just for the sake of balance, can I tell you, it's easy to stand against stuff without ever really standing for anything. Have you ever met those people? Have you ever met people that are just kind of against everything? Now, maybe the things they're against are things you ought to be against, but if they're just always against everything, they're, just, they're really no fun to be around, right? I mean, some people really, some people get fired up, and I wish I didn't have to deal with this as often as I do. Some people get fired up about style and volume of music, for example. You know, can't you do better than that? I mean, there's real stuff to be against, I mean, there's moral poverty out there. There's injustice. There's abuse. I mean, there's, there are things that are robbing people of their ability to connect with the Lord Jesus Christ. And some people are just mad all the time. That's not what we're talking about. We stand against the wiles of the devil. You have to stand in the right place. Peter is not standing in the right place. Listen, Peter denies the Lord Jesus Christ, and already we've identified two things that are nonverbal. It's just kind of where he's positioning himself, far away, okay, and with the wrong folks. That's a sign. That's something you've got to be careful of. Listen, the stands that you take determine your true allegiance, whether it's Jesus or whether it's this world. But there's some verbal things, of course, and ultimately Peter said out loud, I don't know him, <laughs> right? Avoid association with Jesus. That's a real problem, right? There's no verbal witness. This is the thing that Peter gets dogged for. He earned it. I mean, he said it. No, I don't know him. Do you know him? No. Okay? And maybe we think that we would never. We were appalled. We would never do such a thing. But is that the only way to deny Jesus Christ verbally? By saying out loud, I don't know him. Is that the only way, really? I mean, you could consider this a divine appointment that God gave to Peter, an opportunity to share who Jesus Christ is. It's very interesting. Look back in verse number 17 of our text. 
Then said the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, notice, art not thou also one of this man's disciples? In other words, like John? John wasn't afraid. John went right in with Jesus, and I'm sure if anybody asked him, he's like, I'm with him. And, and John came back out and said, he's with me. And they knew John was with Jesus. So they say to Peter, by the way, oh, aren't you also? I mean, Pete could have said, yeah, I'm with him, and we're with, we're with Jesus. But he said no. Very interesting. God gave him an opportunity to say something. You know, what if you just don't deny Jesus? You don't say, no, I don't know him. But you just keep silent. Do you realize that with your life with the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you can't be neutral. There is no neutral. I'm, I'm just neutral about Jesus. No, you're not. You're not. You're either for him or you're against him. And, and that's what he says. That's all there is. You know, a lot of illustrations people try and use, but it's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, riding an escalator or something. I mean, you can't stay in one spot. The escalator's moving, right? And so you've got to try and go the opposite. I mean, you can't, you're either for him or you're against him. You can't just stop. Because if you just stop, you're in the world and the world is moving in direct opposition to Jesus. And there is no neutral. Jesus says in Matthew 12 and verse number 30, he that is not with me is against me. And the he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. A couple chapters earlier in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, Jesus says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me, notice before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven, but whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. God's watching. Thankfully, Peter, and many of you know the story, and, and Peter goes out and he weeps bitterly at the end and, and ultimately gets restored by the time John's gospel's over and, and goes into the book of Acts. Peter figures it out and becomes an amazing, bold witness. And by the time you get to Acts chapter 4, you see this from Peter, uh, verses 18 to 20. And they called them and commanded them, again, it's Peter and John, not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus under great persecution, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And Peter figured it out. But you know what? He didn't figure it out until he fell hard. He didn't figure it out until he was broken. He didn't figure it out until he had failed and Jesus restored him. You know what? We can just figure it out today. You don't have to fail in order to figure it out. He's given us the full revelation so that we can make the right choices. And sometimes we deny him just by avoiding our association with him. Peter did it in a very blatant way. Maybe you do it in a more subtle way. But if you avoid your association with the Lord Jesus Christ with or without words, you're kind of denying him, aren't you? Well, the last thing is what I'll call non-Christian language. Non-Christian language, um, if you go to Matthew's version of this story, and it's found in Matthew chapter 26, I'm going to read for you three verses or four verses, starting in verse 71. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth, and again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. 
And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. Uh, just for your understanding, to swear means to swear with an oath. He denied with an oath. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what to swear is. To curse is bad language. To curse is what you punish your kids for doing. Now, to swear, by the way, Jesus said, don't do that. You don't even need to forswear yourself, he said, because let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. In other words, if you just always tell the truth, you don't have to ever raise your hand and promise, this time I'm going to tell the truth. Right? Why do you ever have to do that, Jesus said? Just tell the truth all the time. Right? But don't you know that this old fisherman knew some cuss words, man? Right? You know this guy knew some cuss words, right? And so they're like, hey, don't you know that? I know this guy. And in the midst of the story, he was, he was out in the garden with Jesus. And he says, blankety blank, no, I don't know this blankety blank. You know that's how he did it. And then they're like, oh, yeah, right. He's probably not with him. <laughs> Jesus' people don't talk like that. <laughs> and that's what happened. That's what really happened. Because of his speech, they, they would say, oh, okay, I'll prove to you that I'm not one of Jesus's, okay? And so he spoke like a lost man. Wow. James chapter 3, <laughs> got to go to James 3, verses 8 and 9. But the tongue can no man tame. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Notice, this is huge. Therewith, bless we God, even the Father. And therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. So with the same tongue, we believers bless God as we did in our time of worship today. And then something can happen and we can turn right around and curse other men and women who are made after the similitude of God. That's not right. Your speech berays you, as the Bible would say. Ephesians chapter 4 very clearly tells us, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that may minister grace unto the hearers. Listen, these are behavioral manifestations of a man denying the Lord Jesus Christ. But why would somebody do that? I mean, what, what would have driven Peter to do that, I mean, this is extreme. Why did that happen? Well, I think we can get some insight into that, and that's the motivation. That's our next point. We saw the manifestation of his behavior, but the motivation behind it, what is that? What drives a man who has served God for a period of time to turn on him? I think it's obvious. I think Peter's mad at God. Peter's mad at God. Now, contrary to popular belief, Peter is probably not mad at Jesus because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Probably not the reason why, but some people think that might be the reason why. 
Thank you for laughing. Peter left his career and his family to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Just trying to wrap your mind around this thing. Peter was on the inside of a movement that promised to bring in a kingdom. And not only was Peter on the inside with the 12, but of the 12, he was one of the chosen three that was more privileged, closer to Jesus. And as such, Peter would have been promised a prominent place in this coming kingdom. And, and, and can, can you imagine walking with Jesus and watching Jesus do all the miracles and all the teaching and all the authority and absolutely giving a face job to all these religious people that were such hypocrites? And Peter participated in that, and it would have just been amazing. It would have been great. And while Jesus Christ was physically the guy leading the movement, Jesus took all the heat, man. Pete and the disciples, they just kind of hung back and were like, yeah, <laughs> he's doing it, you know, or whatever. And, but Jesus is on his way out, and it's transitioning to them, and they're all feeling the heat now, and it's getting harder. And this whole deal in the garden and betrayed by Judas, and you can imagine his world is turning upside down, and they arrest him, and you're thinking, yeah, but you're God. you could do anything, but you're allowing this to happen, and they're persecuting him, and they're, they're going to kill him, and everything's going bad, and this kingdom thing just isn't looking like it's going to work out just right, and maybe like I alluded to in the beginning, he's thinking, man, I, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I need out of this thing. How can I get out? How can, I don't know. This is it's not working out. And, and in his mind, I know in my mind, I might have thought something like, Lord, I thought we had a deal. You ever made deals like that with God? You make them, by the way. And you think, Lord, I, I thought we had a deal. I thought that you, you were going to come through on this. And, and then when God doesn't necessarily come through and whether or not you understand that he's reminding you, yeah, you made that deal. I didn't ever really make that deal. Then you have some decisions to make and a lot of people get into that position and they just get mad. Things are crumbling and falling apart and it's not fun anymore and people are thinking, man, I gave up three and a half years of my life for this? And then I think the last straw, and we talked about it last week, I believe the last straw, this is building. Jesus had said to Peter and the guys, buy a sword. Up until now, you haven't had to provide anything. Everything's been provided for you, but now take some extra clothes with you. If you get a chance, buy a sword because you're going to be at variance. The world is going to be out to get you. I mean, even the people of your own household like we saw. And so Pete's like, I got a sword. The mob comes to take Jesus with swords. Peter stands to fulfill what he said he would do and that would never be offended. He stands to defend Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ rebukes him. He just told me to get a sword. I fearlessly used it. And he rebuked me? I'm out of here, man. I think he was mad at God. I do. And you know what? Maybe he's thinking, hey, okay, Jesus, great. You don't want me to defend you? Fine. I don't even need to know you. I don't know if that's what he was thinking, but that's the way it's playing out, isn't it? 
kind of got the attitude like, hey, what have you done for me lately? And there's a lot of people that fall into that category. What have you done for me lately? Thanks, Lord. You've done some awesome stuff. Really appreciating that salvation thing. That was cool. And for a while, we were rolling. We were doing good. But lately, not so much. So, Lord, when you... Now, listen, we would never say this out loud. When you kind of get your act together and you kind of fix this stuff, I'll be back. But until then, I'll just kind of hang out over here. Warm myself by the fire. And that's what people do, man. They have short-term memory. And so I think it's this way. I think people get mad at God for not getting what they want. At the end of the day, we're all selfish. (laughs) I've said this before. I've got a friend who used this quote, and so I've quoted him on it a lot, and he says there's two kinds of Christians in the world. There's selfish Christians, and there's really, really selfish Christians. Which one are you? We're We're all selfish, right? And Pete's like, look, what have you done for me lately? I wanted fill in the blank and you didn't deliver and since you didn't deliver God I'm going to take my ball and go home and that's what people do they're hurt they're disappointed but not necessarily mature enough to just talk reason it out and so they lash out and Typically, the target of the attack is going to be against those that represent God. And in Peter's story, it is indeed the God-man, Jesus Christ, the representation of Jehovah God on planet Earth at that time. So Peter lashes out against Jesus, the representative. Now, Jesus told the disciples just a little bit earlier in John 15 that there's coming a day, right, that they're going to persecute you. But the reason they're going to persecute you is because really they're persecuting me in other words there's coming a day where the world will persecute the disciples why because the disciples will then be the ones who represent God Jesus Christ physically won't be here anymore it's all through the scripture remember Moses and all the people murmur against Moses in the wilderness and God reminds me says look they're not murmuring against you they're murmuring against me but it was all directed at Moses Because Moses was the guy who represented Jehovah God to the Israelites at that time. Moses is my hero. Uh, Moses didn't do everything right for sure, but Moses is the most awesome representation of a pastor shepherd in the Bible. Can you imagine pastoring that group of folks? I mean, that's a tough call, man. And he did it with grace. And so today in our world, what happens? What happens is, and I'm not trying to cry about nothing, it, there's anger directed at me because I'm a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so leaders, pastors, shepherds are typically the target of people's anger, but they're not necessarily, they're not angry at us. They're mad at God. And that's just the truth. Sometimes, and this is something the Lord's been showing me even recently, They just, there's other manifestations of God, by the way. One of them is the church. Because the church is Christ's body. And as such, the church becomes the target 
of people's anger. Do y'all realize there's stuff that goes on, and who cares about the details? The, the, the lesson is what's important, and here's the lesson. That's why I'm chosen to share it with you today. There are people who are just mad at First Baptist Church. And they're mad for whatever reason. Typically, it's a reason that something happened in their past many years ago. Somebody offended them or something happened. I don't know what. And what happens a lot is that the person who offended, they're long gone. They've been gone for a long time. But yet the anger is still directed at the church. We're a whole new bunch of folks. I won't even hear. (laughs) But the church represents God. They're not mad at the church. They're not mad at me. They're mad at God. They're mad at God, and they don't know how to to deal with it. You know what else is a representation of God, y'all? It's this book. God's presence is in this thing. Amen? People get mad at God. You know what they quit doing? They quit reading this. I'll show you. See how that works out for you. And that's what they do. I mean, it's crazy, man. This book is God's very soul in written form. People quit reading it. You ever known anybody like that? Ever been anybody like that? Listen, I'll make you raise your hands. Don't worry. If deep in your heart you feel like, yeah, I've, I've felt that way. Maybe you're a little upset right now. Maybe you're mad at me. <laughs> okay. Honestly, you know my advice for you is? Just tell God about it, man. Just tell him like you don't know anyway. Just tell God, look, I'm mad. I'm mad at you. I promise you. He's big enough to handle it. I mean, doesn't he say in Philippians 4, I mean, just pray about everything. Pray about everything. So just tell him you're mad. It's good for you. Just get it off your chest. It'll help you, man. And that's ultimately what you need. That's the motivation. That's why Pete's doing what he's doing. He's just in a funk. He's got to get out of it, okay? Well, he'll get out of it. And and that's what we're going to see last, the confrontation. The confrontation. And, and for this, you've got to look back in Luke chapter 22 because this is not recorded in John's version of this story, okay? But in Luke chapter 22, just two verses, and this is at the end of the story here. Verse 61. So while this is going on and Peter's in the process of denying, they're, they're leading Jesus out of the palace and he's on his way to be transferred to Pilate and, and we'll see that next week, okay? So he's kind of, He's kind of walking down the pathway and at a distance, Peter's out here at a distance warming himself and they're asking him and he's denying, okay? That's that's what's going on. But Jesus is no longer inside. He's outside and he's within eyesight. It says, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. Can you imagine that moment? So Peter's, you know, he, he got caught up in the moment. He was being foolish. He denies, he denies, he denies. And the instant that he denies and the cock crows at a distance, there's Jesus. 
and they make eye contact. You know how it is. You don't have to be real close to somebody. If you make eye contact with somebody, you know you see them and they see you right at that moment. It's the look, man. It's face-to-face with the Lord Jesus Christ immediately after a failure. Wow. That's what he's got going on here. I hope you all understand that there will come a time when each and every one of us will be face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that look, that look, you don't want to be in that position immediately following a failure. You just don't. But whenever that time comes, and this is what we're going to do, a little brief Bible study here real quick. When that time comes for that look face-to-face with Jesus Christ, let me assure you, there is no need for words. There are no words spoken. He knows, and you know. And you know what that is? That's a picture of the judgment seat of Christ. What we have with Peter is a picture of, of a carnal Christian at the judgment seat of Christ. I mean, I want you to think about it. In Revelation chapter 1 and in Revelation chapter 2, we have some references where it shows a picture of the glorified Lord, okay? And as it gives the description of what the glorified body of Christ is going to look like, among the things that it lists is he has eyes as of a flaming fire, right? And so that's the, that's the revelation of Jesus in Revelation 1. In Revelation chapter 2, he's before the church in Thyatira giving a judgment, okay? His eyes as a flame of fire, okay? Now, you flip into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is a picture, again, it's the story of ultimate judgment of the Christians. And it talks about how our works are to be judged. Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, Right? And they will be judged, verse 13, by fire, right? So when we meet the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the look that will test every single work. Not our sins, we are saved. Our works that we have done in Christ will be tested by fire. And go down to verse 15 in 1 Corinthians 3, and what you'll find out is is that if your works are burned up, you'll suffer loss suffer loss. And that's what Peter felt. He felt great loss. So he went out and he wept bitterly. It's a picture of the judgment seat. So maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, hey, wait a minute, I thought I read somewhere where the Bible said there's no, no more tears in heaven, the judgment seat, we get raptured out. There won't be any crying anymore, right? Well, that reference is Revelation 21 verse 4, where it's the new Jerusalem, okay? So that's later. And it doesn't say there's no more tears. It says God will wipe away the tears. So there's some crying going on. But God will ultimately wipe them away. The, the, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven is after the judgment seat of Christ. So this is a picture. This is a picture of a carnal Christian losing rewards, at the judgment seat. And in that day, there's no need to say anything. There's no verbal accounting 
at that day. You sometimes think about the judgment seat. All right, son, you tell me, tell me what you did. No, he already knows what you did. And I'm going to give you a very quick proof for that. It's in Genesis chapter 24. And it's a long chapter, and I really encourage you to go home and read it and pay real close attention to the details of the story. I'm going to give you a running story of Genesis 24. In Genesis chapter 24, here's the story. Abraham, Father Abraham, you know, represents God the Father. Okay, this is a picture. This is a prophetic typology. This is a picture for us to learn something greater than just the literal, historical, accurate story. Abraham, representing God the Father, sends out his servant, the Holy Spirit, into the world. He says, go into my country and unto my people, okay, to find a bride for his son, Isaac. So Isaac represents the Lord Jesus Christ. So God the Father sends the Holy Spirit into the world to find a bride for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the picture of Genesis chapter 24. The servant goes out and he prays about some stuff and he lands on Rebekah. And Rebecca ultimately then, because she will ultimately become the bride of Isaac, she then represents the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. She willingly, of her own free will, agrees to go and to follow the servant on a journey. And it's going to be a long journey before they make it back to finally meet Isaac. And that journey, by the way, would represent our physical life in Christ after salvation. And so she's traveling with the servant. We travel with the Holy Spirit throughout this life. As they approach to where Isaac is staying, and and at a distance, she can see Isaac. Uh, All along the way, the Bible says in that chapter that, that she's asking the servant, tell me more about him, tell me more about him, tell me about your master's son. Kind of like us in our Christian life, we, through the Holy Spirit and through his word, we're constantly learning more about this man, Jesus Christ, who one day will be united with us face to face as husband and wife. And, and so when they approach the time of coming, she can see him afar off, and the Bible says it's great language that she lighted off her camel. That didn't mean that she smoked. She lighted off her camel. It's a picture of the rapture. And the bride and the groom are face to face. Before they enter into life together, happily ever after, something happens. In verse 66, it says this, that the servant tells Isaac all things that he had done on that journey. Do you see what God's telling you? At the judgment seat of Christ, when we light out of this world and we're about to meet him face to face in the air and we get that look like Peter had that look and there is no need whatsoever for you to give any account of anything because inside of you, Christian, is the Holy Spirit of God that has dwelt in you from the very moment you received him as your Lord and Savior and that very Holy Spirit goes everywhere you go, is a witness to everything you say and lay your eyes on and do. And you are on this journey to meet your holy bridegroom. And when you get there, you don't need to open your mouth at all because the Holy Spirit will do what he was commanded to do. And that's give a report. 
tell me, how did it go? What happened along the way? And the Holy Spirit does his duty. He gives the report. And for a lot of people, they'll go out and weep bitterly. For many others, they'll just rejoice. (laughs) And we decide. We decide. But listen, don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself into thinking that you're getting away with anything. The Holy Spirit has a job to do, and he will do his job. I'm going to finish with 2 Timothy chapter 2, 11, 12, and 13. It's a faithful saying. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Does not mean you lose your salvation. It means you are denied rewards. That's what he's talking about. Because even if you quit believing, he can't deny, he can't deny himself. You, he lives inside of us. So the question I have for us as we close is, you got anything you need to clean up with Jesus today? Are any of those manifestations creeping into your life little by little and you realize, wow, I better take care of this now before I get too far down this path? Are there particular sins and and God has been reminding you, maybe he's just been tapping you on the shoulder and maybe he's been banging on your door and it's time. You do not want to have that face-to-face as a failure. And you don't have to because the good news is, is that he loves you. And he wants to restore you. And this restoration is available. And now is better than later. Peter ultimately gets restored. Peter ultimately becomes greatly used by God. Peter ultimately has an amazing ministry. But he has to be restored. And if you will willingly look at Jesus today through the eyes of faith and respond properly, that day when you meet him face to face, it'll be great. It'll be glorious. It'll be awesome but you got to do what you got to do. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We're going to wrap it up.